Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available at thejazzsession.com and for free in iTunes. This week's guest is saxophonist David Sanborn. From his album Here and Gone, this is the St. Louis Blues. My guest is David Sanborn. He's got a new album out called Here and Gone, and it's my pleasure to welcome David to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you, Jason. You uh, have kind of reached a point in your career when if you if you never played another note or made another album, you'd still be one of the few saxophonists most people can actually name. But rather than slowing down, you're, you're speeding up, as far as I can tell. What is it that's still driving you to be out there all the time on the road and, and recording and making more music? Well... The act of making music is just uh, continually new and uh, fresh and exciting to me. And the the fact that I have an opportunity to actually, you know, go out and play music with other people and make a living doing that, you know, doing something I love to do, is is remarkable to me. It's a great gift to to be able to, to you know be in the position I'm into either play music that I've gathered together or that I've written and just continue to examine it and break it down and try to inhabit the, the songs in different ways and, and just, you never get to the end of music. That's what's, that, that's what's so great about it. It's never, it's not something, it's not a place that you get to and then you've got it figured out. It's always changing, always evolving. The more you play, the more you, 
the more you hear, the more you hear, the more you want to play. You know what I mean? It's just it's, it's endless. Are you still so? Are you still surprised on the bandstand some nights by what happens? Oh yeah, I you know just learning something all all of a sudden seeing how something fits together. I mean sometimes it's you know a little on the technical side. It's hard to explain. It's like oh I see against this chord that sounds good. If I do this and go there and oh I see how that relationship works and, or something that I tried before didn't work, and then now all of a sudden it works. Why did that work? I ran into one of those the other night. I'd heard this thing that Joe Henderson had played on, on a saxophone player that, that Joe played on a, a record that he did with uh, uh, Larry Young, an organ player. And it was just kind of a, a pattern that he played. And I thought, God, that's so cool. And I just kind of logged it in the back of my mind. And we were playing this tune couple of nights ago and just by total happenstance I played this this kind of phrase using this relationship that I'd never played before and I'd kind of forgotten that it was there and it was like where the hell did that come from and then I thought back and I said oh yeah that's that Joe Henderson thing that I just now all of a sudden it it just kind of clicked for me you know something that I'd heard 25 years ago when stuff like that happens, it's like discovery, you know, you discover something. It sounds like a piece of that, though, is that you still have to be willing to push yourself and challenge yourself, because it, it seems like it would be possible to not make those new discoveries well, and I just to rely. Well, I think saying. I mean, but, but why not do that? It's more surprising to me that people don't do that than people do it. It's why not do it? You've got to be willing to, to, to put stuff on the line, you know, otherwise it doesn't have much meaning. No, it's not about, you know, do it again like you did last summer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's got to be about some kind of sense of discovery and some kind of adventure and some kind of, you need to know that, feel or feel that any at any point, the shit could just fall apart. It could just crash and burn. That's part of the, the adventure of it. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what folks need to know about Hank Crawford, who's uh, one of my favorite saxophone players and... Um, I'm guessing from this record, someone you quite admire. Well, Hank was uh, a saxophone player and one of the, the principal ranger, really, of uh, the Ray Charles Band in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, and he kind of helped shape the sound of that. It was called, uh, they, they called it a, a, a small big band. And basically it was five horns that sounded like a much bigger band. And that was really Hank's kind of, talent that helped bring that, you know, put that over. And in addition to being a great arranger, he was an extraordinary saxophonist. Uh, he, he had that gift of brevity and economy in his playing that, to me, all great musicians have. People like Miles Davis. I mean, Miles was the master of, you know, uh, getting to the point and having every note mean a lot. And, and what one of the things that Hank could do better than almost anybody was play at incredibly slow tempos and leave a lot of space and not have that space just die. Because he understood that the space that you leave is as important as the sound that you make. And I think what I learned from him early on, although I didn't really understand it in those terms, 
was that, was the idea that the, the sound and the silence are of equal value. And then when I heard Miles Davis, you know, I gravitated to that, you know, it, it, in a completely different way, uh, more in the abstract with Miles, because it was just his simplicity and his use of space. And, you know, the, the fact that he could maintain, he could manipulate space so effectively and maintain uh, the thread of, of the melody and, and of the, the impro improvisation over, uh, you know, a period of time and not have to fill all those spaces. Is it more difficult to connect with an audience at that level of economy and simplicity than, you know, kind of with a bombastic you know, here's all the things I've ever learned in this one solo kind of play? Well, it's a lot, it's a lot more showy, you know, to do it, to, to, to play a lot of notes. And yeah, they, they call that getting some house. <laughs> That's the <laughs> phrase that they use when, when guys go up there, like, you know, get stand on the bar and roll on their back and, you know, play one note really high and hold it for a long time. Right. They call that getting a little house. I like it. I mean, look, that's always going to get people on some level because it's exciting. I mean, let's face it. It's, and there's a place for that. But it's a lot harder to, to draw people in. I mean, why was Miles Davis so incredibly fascinating to so many people, his playing? Why was he probably, the, you know, after Louis Armstrong, the most imitated trumpet player ever. It wasn't because he was bombastic and played a lot of high notes and played a lot of fast notes. What was it about him? It was his sound. It was the way he could play one note and you knew it was him right away. The way he could play in a simple way, but try doing it and see how easy it is. You know, he was like Picasso. You know, he just knew how to manipulate space. And that's art. I mean, that really is what art is. And that's what Hank had. You know, and, and I think that that's really what attracted me early on, that, that thing of, like, take your time. You know, it's a hard thing to do because, you know, you get up in there and you're in front of the audience and, you know, you leave that space and you get nervous and you think, oh, I got to... Oh got to be you got to have confidence and conviction to do that and it's a lesson i'm constantly learning i've certainly not in any way mastered that and i think hank had that just intrinsically in his playing I'm gonna move, baby Way out on the outskirts of town I'm gonna move, baby Way out on the outskirts of town I don't need nobody Always hanging around I 
Let me tell you, honey, we're gonna move away from here. I don't need no ice man. I'm gonna get you a frigid air. When we move. Way out on the outskirts of town. There are uh, quite a number of, of guest names on this record, but uh, at the at its core, the band that that backs you up is is pretty amazing in its own right. Can you talk a little bit about the folks who make up the core of this album? Well, the the bass player is Christian McBride, and the drummer is Steve Gadd, and those guys, along with with Russell Malone and Gil Goldstein, have played with me on on my last three records, and. You know, the reason I chose these people, you know, in general is because they're willing to check their egos at the door and play in service of the music. And you won't find a better drummer than Steve Gadd. And he can do anything that any other drummer can do and ten times as good. But it's never about the flash with him. The same with Christian McBride. It's not about showing off. These guys have, are so good that they play in service of the music because they know that's, what, that's what's important. And when you get guys at that level who can turn on a dime and do anything, and yet they don't, like, it's not like, hey, get a load of me. That's the mark of a real musician to me. You know, When it's time to shine, they shine. But when it's time to make the whole thing move along. And nobody grooves harder than those guys. Whatever the idiom, whether it's straight ahead or funk or R&B or a ballad or whatever it is, they do it better than anybody. David, who did the uh, arrangement for uh, Basin Street Blues on this record? Gil Goldstein. And- Gil Goldstein did all these arrangements, but that's that's probably his most original arrangement. I, that I man, I'm completely in love with the fact that he used this real Richard T. like Rhodes kind of thing uh, all throughout that. Which I, just uh, as soon as I heard it the first time, I thought, man, that I probably wouldn't have thought of that, particularly with the the horn arrangement behind it. But it's it's absolutely perfect, and uh, just just sounds like a guy with a an amazing ear for for what fits, even if it's not what you might expect. Well, you know, that was a, a conscious choice on our part use the roads because it was a way to kind of blend the texture in with the rest of the horns. Aside from me just totally loving the sound of the Fender Rhodes, kind of a, a brother sound to the Hammond B3, which is my favorite keyboard sound ever. You know, so the B3 and the Rhodes, they're just, there's, there's a kind of softness, but still there's a percussiveness to the sound. And it just it, the blend of the instrument is so it, it's so effective, you know. When you were first discussing uh, the concept for this record with Gil Goldstein, were you talking about the little big band that you referenced earlier from Absolutely. the Hank Crawford days? That's kind of where it started with us. I said, you know, this is this is the kind of sound that I want for this record, because for me, the ambience of the record is a good place to start, uh, and I think that. How the whole re- how the whole thing came about was, I had been you know re-listening to a lot of early Hank Crawford stuff, you know records that he'd made in the in the late fifties and early sixties, and I was just struck by how much I loved that music, and how how I 
how much it, it affected who I was then and who I am now as a player. And I just felt that it was, you know, I wanted to do this now. I wanted to pay tribute to Hank. I wanted to connect to the, the, the essence of what the music that inspired me to want to play in the first place. You know, and I wanted to do it and acknowledge Hank while he was still around. I think one of the great things about a gesture like that is, I don't mean to belittle it by calling it a gesture, but a decision like that, is that everybody has heard of Ray Charles, who you know gets his due on this record, but I think far fewer people have heard of Hank Crawford, and that's not because far fewer people should have heard of him, but just because that's how it is when you're that's a saxophone player. Goes. Yep, that's I mean, exactly right. He, he and, and David Fathead Newman, who was probably a little more ubiquitous in terms of solos with Ray, those were the two guys. I mean, you know, it was Ray singing and then a saxophone solo. And that was always Fathead. You know, and that was the sound. And, you know, Ray played the alto. You know, and I, I, I talked to Ray about Hank and Fathead. And he said, yeah, man, Hank made me stop playing the alto. He said, because I, I would get up there and every, when I heard Hank play, I said, i got to stop playing. <laughs> and Hank, I mean, and, and Ray was a good alto player. I mean, he was an effective alpha player. But, you know, he recognized the genius of both of these guys, you know. He was way into them, and he was way into being a jazz player. Well, it's a it's a really wonderful album. I, I urge people well, to seek you. it out. Uh, my my pleasure, man. And uh, I definitely, again, uh, urge people to seek out Hank Crawford, too, because he, uh, he really Absolutely. deserves it. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I would, I would hope to accomplish. You know, one of the things I'd hope to accomplish on this uh record is to, to get make have people be aware of who Hank was and, and who he is. And he's an extraordinary musician and he's done some amazing things. He made a series of records with an organ player named Jimmy McGriff that are just kind of definitive soul organ records, you know, and uh, Yeah, those records are amazing. Yeah, amazing <laughs> records. Well, it's a it's a class act, uh, as are you and I really thank you again for uh, taking the time to call in and, and wish you the best and hope you'll come back. Thanks very Well, somehow you 
That's saxophonist David Sanborn from his new album, Here and Gone. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find written interviews, jazz news, and lots of great links. Plus, there's a show archive, which has every episode of The Jazz Session always free, always right there for you to listen to. You'll also find our email mailing list, which is a great way to win free music. That is the main way that I give away CDs, so you're going to want to sign up for the mailing list. You'll find a mailing list link along the top of the jazzsession.com page. You'll also find it along the left side of the page. Two ways to sign up. If you are on Facebook, just look for The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. There's a Facebook group called Exactly That, and I'd love to have you. There are hundreds of people on the group including many famous folks from the jazz world. For more interviews and reviews, I encourage you to visit allaboutjazz.com, not just because my stuff is there, but because the work of hundreds of talented jazz writers and reviewers and critics and fans uh, is also there. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet. They've got a brand new record on the way called Serious Respect. You can find out more at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thanks a lot for being here and listening to the show. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back again next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.